0: The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. This morning, we will be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17 as we continue to walk through 2 Corinthians and see this timely message to us today. Verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in a, We speak in Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we ask now that as we share your word together, that you would speak to our hearts and to our lives. I pray for those who do not know you, Lord, that you would use the teaching of this word to open their eyes to the light of the gospel. And Lord, I pray for every believer that we would all recognize who we are and what our responsibility is in Christ lead us now as we share in your word in Christ's name amen when I was in college I had transferred and some friends of mine called me one Sunday afternoon and said they were in town some college sweetmates and said they wanted to come by and visit with me so I met them and drove up in the parking lot where they were they followed me. We came to my house. My mother had thrown together some food for them to eat, actually some good food, some steaks, and we shared a meal. Now, when they got in my house, I realized uh, clearly where they had been, what they'd been doing. They'd been up in the mountains uh, in North Carolina camping, and they hadn't had a bath in a week. The smell of those four young men in our dining room remained for several days. The fragrance that they emitted was undeniable. Now fragrance is a part of this text. It's a word picture that Paul is using in this text to convey a very significant meaning. So here's our main idea today. Those who are in Christ spread the fragrance of Christ among among those around them by living and speaking for Christ. Now it begins with an introductory remarks verse 12. Paul says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Now, I don't know what kind of atlas is in your mind, but Troas is in northwest Turkey. It was close to the ancient city of Troy. Um, it was across the water from Greece up to the north, it's where Macedonia was located where you find the church or the cities of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, where you also find find Paul visiting. It was in Macedonia where Paul authors and writes 2 Corinthians. Now, why was it Troas? We know that there was an open door, he says, for the preaching of the gospel. So he was not facing fierce opposition at Troas. He was openly able to preach the gospel. This is the second time he had been there, and he leaves. The first time is when he receives the Macedonian call. This time, it says he is not at rest because he could not find Titus there. He was expecting, obviously, to find Titus. We'll say a little bit more about that later in 2 Corinthians. But you see here a deep pastoral concern and a deep personal concern that Paul has for Titus and it drives him on toward Macedonia. Now, why does Paul give us this detail prior to verses 14 to 17? It's partly to explain why he did not come to the Corinthians sooner. But there's something more going on. He's showing them how the gospel prevails regardless of circumstances. There are two overarching points I want us to see this morning as we break verses 14 to 17 down. Those who are in Christ spread the fragrance of Christ among those around them. He begins verse 14, but thanks be to God. So even though he left Troas, even though he couldn't find Titus, he says, but thanks be to God. So what Paul's saying is regardless of the circumstances that he was facing, he is grateful to God and how he works despite our circumstances. But thanks be to God who in Christ. So God is the source and the substance of what Paul is doing, and he says that we're in he's in Christ in union with Christ that all who are trusting in Christ alone for salvation are in Christ and Christ is in them. this is a profound spiritual union that we have. And Paul's saying this drives how he makes the fragrance of Christ known among people around him. Thanks be to God for those who are in Christ, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Now, this is an intentional word picture that Paul is using. We need to get some context to understand it. In the ancient world where Paul finds himself writing, people would have immediately been able to grasp the meaning behind this illustration. When a conquering general or an emperor who had gone out to face a foe or to conquer a people or a land that the Romans would often take over, when they would return, they would return with a parade into the city. The conquering general or the emperor would be at the front of the parade in his chariot. Followed behind him would be multiple things. One would be the spoils of war, what he had taken, what he had captured from his enemy and from his foe. There would be prisoners who were a part of this parade, and there would be leaders or the the leader of the people who been conquered. Now, this parade would end up at a pagan temple to where this leader or multiple leaders or even prisoners would then be sacrificed to the pagan gods of Rome. Now as this parade was making its way through the city, the pagan priests would have these uh, devices to where they would have incense in them and they would be swinging this incense causing the aroma to spread into the crowd and among those who were a part of the parade. Now with this idea, he says, Through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So Christ is leading this procession, and through us he is spreading this fragrance of the knowledge of him. So this is not a literal smell. This is not something you smell with your nose. He's talking about the gospel, the knowledge of Christ being made known. So Christ, the conquering king, the one who has defeated sin and death, the one who has purchased us with his own blood, is the one who is leading this procession. If you turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 12, Paul writes, Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised us from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses. So Paul is talking about the miracle here of salvation, of conversion that we have in Christ that we have been raised with him from the dead and that we have been forgiven our sin now how did christ accomplish this verse 14 by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him so the one who has triumphed is christ himself and it is christ who leads us in this triumphal procession. So, so here is, here is, here is the, the way Christianity works that gets people tripped up. So we're not led by a conquering king who's never been defeated. Christ was defeated on the cross in that he was nailed to the cross. He was killed for our sin. He died in our place. It appeared to be a defeat. A loss. But we know that he was risen from the dead, that he is alive, and in that he has triumphed over and disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to public shame. So, this triumphal king is the one who is leading us. Now, let's read the verse again, and I want you to notice two words. But thanks be to God who in Christ always. So this is not something that happened 2,000 years ago that has no effect today. This conquering king, Christ, always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So always and everywhere, we spread the knowledge of him among everyone. Verse 15, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? So among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And we need to get the word perishing in our mind. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What does it mean to perish? It's more than death. It's, it's, it's eternal death. It's separation from God. C.S. Lewis, thinking about who human beings really are, wrote this. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as a life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, whom we work with, whom we marry, whom we snub, whom we exploit. Immortal horrors, or everlasting splendors. What is he saying? We either do wonderful things to and for one another, or we do awful things to and one one another. Have you paused lately and thought about the fact that those around you, that every person you know, is an immortal soul? The church over the last ten weeks has been called on to limit its activity. At the beginning, it seemed very wise, and for some, they think it's still absolutely the right thing to do. But in limiting our activity, what what, what has been lost in understanding is that we've been asked to limit our witness. Now, all of this is behind the fact that we are called to save lives. Brothers and sisters, here's what I want you to see and to hear today. We are called to save the perishing. Now I don't mean that we do so recklessly. The the real issue in front of us is not whether we ought to meet or not meet. The real issue that's coming more and more to the surface among people on a day-to-day basis, and and I want you to hear me here. I'm not just talking about The world. I'm talking about people who regularly go to church as well. What's really coming to the surface today is that the ministry of the church or the ministry of the gospel is either irrelevant or it's non essential. So, do we, those who are in Christ, do we really believe that people have an eternal soul? Or or do we just simply believe that people have mere political affiliations and philosophical points of view? I read an article yesterday afternoon from a self-identified progressive Christian. The basic premise of this article was to the church, shut up, quit demanding your rights, stay home, and by doing so, you'll love your neighbor. Now what I'm about to say is not to discount wise and safe measures going forward. But here's my question. How do I, as a person who is in Christ, how do you, if you are a Christian, how do you love your neighbor? The Bible defines multiple things, but it cannot be narrowed down, and it cannot negate the crucial nature that Paul is preaching here: that we love our neighbor by proclaiming Christ. Now here's the real issue. The real issue is back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 18, Paul writes. For the word of the cross is folly or nonsense to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Here's the real issue. The dividing line in culture right now is not liberal and conservative, and that's a big divide. I understand that. It's not stay home or don't stay home. The big dividing line in the world is the cross. That the cross of Christ, to those who are perishing, is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. In verse 16 of chapter 2, Paul says it this way. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? Now, he uses the word picture of fragrance here, smell. But we're really talking about what people hear, what they're comprehending, what they're believing. So when a person who is perishing hears the message of the cross, it is as if a fragrance of death to death. So what it is reminding people is that they're physically going to die and that they're spiritually going to die. But to others, it is the fragrance of life to life. That hearing the gospel brings new life. It brings conversion, what we read in Colossians 2. And this leads to and begins eternal life, that which will last Forever and forever. So really here's the question, not that we haven't already said it, but let's be clear. How does the fragrance of Christ spread? The answer is that those who are in Christ spread the fragrance of Christ among those around them by living and speaking for Christ. For we are not like so many peddlers of, of God's word. This is verse 17. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. For we are not like so many, Paul says, peddlers of God's word. These people have abounded since the beginning of the church. A peddler here is a reference to someone, a a huckster, someone who's running a business that intentionally is centered around taking advantage of people. One of the prominent illustrations at this point in time would be a wine peddler. Someone who took good quality wine, watered it down, and sold down the watered down product so they could make more profit. Now that's really what Paul's getting to here. That someone takes the word of God, they they say it's the Bible, they may even hold it up and, and, and quote from it at times. They take the word of God and they use it for personal gain Or for profit. Now listen closely to this quote. I'll say it twice. If mishandled with skill, the gospel can be lucrative. If mishandled with skill, the gospel can be lucrative. And brothers and sisters, there are a lot of people in the modern world in which you live with the internet have figured out that there are ways to take the word of god, peddle it, water it down, change it, say just enough to dupe people into listening and to do it in such a way that becomes extremely lucrative. Paul says we're not like them. And he acknowledges there're many of them. We're not like the many who peddle the word of god, but here's what we are. But as men of sincerity. These are people with pure motives. These are people that you look at their lives, you see this single devotion to Christ. Brothers and sisters, we all know this, that a, that, that we, we can stand up and say things from the Bible, and they can be true, and the word of God will not return void, but our lives are saying the contrary. Paul says that's not true of him, that they are men of sincerity. They're people with pure motives. He says that's commissioned by God, literally from God. The commission of God is is what Paul is driven by. He's not driven by profit. He's not after making money. In fact, that's why he wouldn't take money from the Corinthians. He didn't want them to think that. So, what what drives people? I know none of you have been, binge watched anything while you've been in this COVID thing, but I confess that I have watched a series uh, on Medal of Honor recipients. It's been an absolutely fascinating thing to watch and watching them back to back, listening to interviews by some of those that are still alive or interviews about these people, you gotta ask the question, what drives somebody to do what these individuals did? One of the most compelling to me was a World War II sergeant, an African-American man who sadly did not receive his Medal of Honor until it was given to his family in the mid-'80s because he was African-American. But this man attacked a machine gun nest of Nazi soldiers and was shot to the ground three times, got up and continued into the machine gun nest, took these remaining soldiers hostage and limping back to the rear motion to take him back to his commanding officer, interrogated these men in German and shared the results once he got there. What drives someone like that? What drives others like them? It's that it's not simply that they were trained to do it. It's not simply that they were ordered to do it. What you heard from all these people there was something bigger. Something bigger for them that they understood that they were a part of. And that bigger thing for us is that we are commissioned by God. We don't make our decisions based on people We don't make our decisions based on what people like or dislike or what people want. We understand that we are commissioned by God and we put our very lives on the line. And then this last phrase in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. In the sight of God, that means we're accountable. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, So whether at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all but appear before the judgment of the seed of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That does not mean that I'm going to do enough good to win God's favor. I have God's favor in Christ alone. I am in him. And that is the reason why I can please him. I am in Christ. I have... Been forgiven. I am as forgiven as I ever going to be. But those who are forgiven have an aim in our in their life, a purpose in their life, and that is to please Him. Living our lives in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We speak in Christ, not of Christ. We speak in Christ. That means we speak from a profound relationship with Christ that we are in him and he is in us now what 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 do we do with this what's the the, so what I can hear the intimidation though nobody's in this room with me I I, I can hear you saying I can't do that that's why Paul asked the question if you'll notice I skipped it because I was coming back to it Paul asked this question Who is sufficient for these things? Who's adequate? Who's qualified for these things? He answers it in chapter 3, verse 5, and we'll look at it more in depth next week. Not that we are sufficient, not that we are adequate, not that we're qualified in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Our adequacy is, Our qualification is from God. Now, I've pastored long enough and I've lived long enough in my life to confess my own personal struggles, and I have counseled and talked with enough people who deal with their own personal struggles. So when it comes to living for Christ, and certainly when it comes to speaking for Christ, here are some of the things that we hide behind. I'm struggling to measure up. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated enough. I've not been saved long enough. I'm not perfect long enough. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's, let's hear what Paul says. We don't claim anything as coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God. It is from Him alone. Now, I'm going to go to the book of Acts. This is just... Days after the Day of Pentecost, you have these disciples, these these men who were fishermen and farmers and tax collectors, zealots. Here they are proclaiming the gospel. And in Acts chapter four, verse thirteen, it says, "When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived they were uneducated common men." They were astonished. So that means when they opened their mouth, they had a Galilean accent. They didn't speak what's refined language. But what they said was astonishing. You know why? Because they recognized they had been with Jesus. They saw these men as sincere men commissioned by God in the sight of God who were speaking in Christ. And what were they speaking? In verse 12, just prior to verse 13, the description of these men, here's what they were speaking. Here's what they were proclaiming. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So, I don't know what you're looking to for your salvation or your hope going into the future. There is salvation in no one else except in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And that is the message that every one of us, those who have been commissioned by God, those who have been saved by his grace, this is not for preachers. This is for all believers. We are compelled into the world by Jesus to go and make disciples. And what we proclaim is that there is salvation in no other name except in Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your holy word, and thank you for the truth that there is salvation in no one else and nowhere else but in Christ alone. Lord, I pray for those who are listening who do not know you. I pray that today they would confess their sin and their need of Christ, the recognition that they are perishing, and that they would look to Jesus and believe and be saved. And for those who are in Christ, those who are trusting you, I pray that it would be said of them as it was of Peter and John that it is recognizable that they have been with Jesus, that you would grant us a boldness regardless of our education and preparation, regardless of the length of time of our salvation, Lord, that you would grant us a boldness to speak for Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.